Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help. With the aid of my favorite wrestling show, this is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week... Bob and I have to get on the same page if we're going to successfully cover the episode of NXT that originally aired on June 19th, 2014. Fortunately, I suspect we are very much on the same page tonight. I think we'll do okay. The VOD villains are here, and everything is wonderful. Welcome to episode 57 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, Tyson Kidd had a crisis of maleness or whatever, I I don't care. Uh, That continues on this episode, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. Uh, There's a tag team title match, it's a whole thing, but honestly, who fucking cares about any of that? (laughs) The important thing this week is that Simon Gotch is here, and the Von Villains are now a thing, and I would be totally fine with just talking about them for the entire show. Uh, I, I don't think that's what we're actually doing, uh, but, you know, we'll find out for sure in Bob's breakdown. You never know. <laughs> I mean, I had to stop myself. I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> we will then ring the bell for uh, actually a couple of sleeper, very old friends here in NXT. Oh, no. Before getting into these sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. Bob has a women's history fanfic for us, I believe. Yes. Before we get into a brand new edition of wrestling term of the week. And we will bring down the curtain as we always do with the cheap pop quiz. But before all that, we have to go over the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. Bob is the proud owner of 12 points I'm in this round of quizzing. I'm raising all of them. I try to brush their teeth every day, take them for walkies. If they get 15, uh, you all get a romance novel bonus episode with myself and Bob and a guest. But I did skunk them last time, so... Yep, you did. Let's see if they manage to avoid that fate for a second straight time. Question number one. The main event of the next episode is a tag team match in which the Ascension are scheduled to defend their championships against a team that has never teamed up together before. Who are the members of that team? Is it A, Big Cass and Mojo Rawley? B, Mojo Rawley and Adam Rose? C, Adam Rose and Sami Zayn? D, Sami Zayn and Tyson Kidd, or E, Tyson Kidd and Adrian Neville. Bob, you went with A, Big Cass and Mojo Rawley, and as you now know, that was incorrect. I still kind of would have wanted to see that. I honestly wouldn't have minded myself. The correct answer was Sami Zayn and Tyson Kidd, and we will talk about that later on. Speaking of things we're going to talk about later on, question number two, what is the result of that match? A, the Ascension are pushed to their limit, but ultimately retain their titles. B, the Ascension are pushed to their limit and have to resort to controversial tactics to retain their titles. C, the Ascension retain their titles because their thrown together opponents aren't on the same page. D, the new team wins the championships in their first match together. Or E, another team is added to the match at the last minute, and they win the titles by defeating the thrown together team under triple threat rules, thereby effectively sidestepping the Ascension. 
Bob, you went with C, the Ascension Retain, because their opponents aren't on the same page, and you were correct. Holy crap, I can't believe I didn't go for E. You did not take the, the magical E bait. I know, man, I, that E bait is always so sparkly. And question number three. Uh, what's the status of the beautiful, fierce females by the end of the next episode? Is it A, they're mainly still just bickering and shoving each other? B, they get into a legit fight, and by the end of it, it's pretty clear that Summer at least is out of the group. C, they get into a legit fight, and by the end, Charlotte grabs a mic and declares that Summer is out of the group. D, they get into a legit fight, and by the end, Summer is challenging Charlotte for the championship. Or E, they get into a legit fight, and by the end, Summer and Sasha are both challenging Charlotte for the championship. Uh, Bob, you went with D, uh, Summer challenging Charlotte for the title. That was also incorrect. Uh, the correct answer was B, they get into a fight, and by the end of it, it's pretty clear that Summer's out. A weak ending. They should have gone with D. Yeah, they should have gone with D. Absolutely. And upon rewatch, I actually realized that that was a little bit misleading because because uh, it seems like all three of them are fighting each other. Although by the end, it is like Charlotte and Sasha standing on one side and Summer going up the ramp. So not the best question construction by me. And I apologize for that. <laughs> Still, 13 points now, Bob. Yes. That means you only need two on this episode to get that sweet, sweet bonus romance novel episode. So uh, we will get to that later. Right now, it's time for Bob's Breakdown. Our commentary team is Tom Phillips, Byron Saxton, and William Regal. So not too bad. One of the better teams, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. Cold open. Natty wants to make it up to Tyson Kidd for last week's defeat, which is not really her fault, but whatever. <laughs> and suggest to JBL that maybe he and Zayn could form a tag team and challenge for the title as something fresh. JBL looks thoughtful, which is a fucking first. <laughs> Match one. Sasha Banks is here to lay the beat down on purported pixie Alexa Bliss. <laughs> oh, like I'm going to be bitter about this forever. <laughs> I like it. Purported Pixie. That should have been her nickname. I know. Sasha can't believe this amateur hour shit and is mocking Bliss until she Casadoras into an arm drag and then tries for a quick pin. At which point Sasha's like, oh, gasp, you have some talent. This is rude of you. After getting <laughs> monkey flipped, Sasha Banks has had enough and backbreakers Alexa. She lines up a surfboard, seesawing her weight on the back of Bliss's thighs until she brings it all the way back into that Boeing surfboard shape. Meanwhile, on the outside, Summer Ray is getting shirty with Charlotte. There's some vicious hair flipping that bodes ill. Sasha is distracted by the antics of her blonde buddies, and in that moment, Bliss strikes. She gets Sasha in a butt-to-butt -butt sandwich to win the match. Yeah, the classic butt-to-butt -butt sandwich. I know, which some people might call an O'Connor roll if they're feeling fancy. If they're <laughs> too ashamed to walk up to Subway and ask for a butt-to-butt -butt sandwich. <laughs> no, don't go to Subway and do that. They don't get paid enough. Now all three of them are shoving and everyone kind of storms off in a huff. Obviously, it is clear that Summer Rae is the one mainly in a huff, but there is some inter-friendship shoving that I was like, oh, this cannot last. Mm-hmm. Even from the beginning, like, when they first come out to the ring, Charlotte and Sasha are doing, like, the BFF pose, and Summer's not, and they're, mm -hmm. like, kind of already getting shirty with each other, as you put it. So I think that that's 
probably the main thing going on. But yeah, I was actually surprised, like I said, to go back and rewatch and see how much Charlotte Sasha shoving was going on as well. I mean, the group is going to break up at some point. And I think the cracks are well and truly starting to show regardless Mm -hmm. of the fact that it hasn't cracked all the way yet. Sure. Speaking of cracks, backstage, the continuing marital tribulations of Kid and Natalia. Tyson cops some serious attitude and (laughs) it is unappreciated. He doesn't appreciate that Natalia went to JBL. He doesn't need her help. She reminds him that she loves and cares about him. God knows why. Can I say real quick? Yes. This scene, I if it hadn't been for the VOD villains being here, this probably would have been uh, my feels. Yeah, it's, it's hard to watch. But it's especially hard to watch when you've been that person. Like, I've been Tyson in oh, yeah. that scenario where I'm like, I don't want to feel better. I don't want you to help me. I would like to be in a huff, please and thank you. And the fact that you're coming over here trying to express your love and support. Look, <laughs> don't need it right now, okay? Pretty determined to be an asshole. <laughs> oh, no, I have also been that person. And I was like, I am tagged in this picture and I am affronted. Exactly. Backstage in clickety chopping black and white with out of sync audio and video in the style of early talking pictures the first glimpse of the new tag team that Aiden English has formed with his strong man tit out buddy <laughs> Excelsior they say <laughs> I'm laughing just when you say it all you're doing is repeating what they did and it's still funny I, I know that's the magic of good comedy Match two. Mojo Raleigh, I guess? Fine. Garrett Dillon, though! Our beloved Garrett Dillon is back, and that's lovely, and I hope Chris Christofferson is proud. So, a lot of the match is really just Raleigh driving Dillon into the corner, although Garrett Dillon is a hell of a strong boy and lifts Raleigh up to drop him on his back, and then where hath the hypeness gone? We know not. But Always. deserted Raleigh, it has gone to stalk the moors, <laughs> left to seek greener pastures, sailed for Australia. Who can say? <laughs> we are left to ponder this as Raleigh's throat is ground into the middle rope. <laughs> Dylan rips into the side of Raleigh with an abdominal stretch that the crowd is unaccountably into, which is frankly a credit to Dylan. Miles, why the fuck is the crowd interested in this? Also, was this the best Raleigh match we've seen? No, I, I no, I definitely don't think it's the best Raleigh match we've seen. Okay. I think the best Raleigh matches we've seen have been like squashes where they last for 30 seconds and he just beats somebody. That's what I want out of Mojo Raleigh. Um, mm. But if I had to pick like his best match that wasn't that, I think his match with Bo Dallas was probably better than this. Um, okay. But beyond that, as for why the crowd's into it, honestly, like my best answer for that is that the crowd on this episode is kind of into everything. No, like I was noticing it, especially upon rewatch. They're just they're just kind of cheering for everything. They're kind of reacting really well to everything they see. And like if you compare this to the reaction that the villains get when they come out, like there's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah, this is true. You know how when like sometimes you you're trying to fix some audio with like noise reduction or whatever, and you're trying to mess with the volume and like you you 
turn up the small sounds way too high. So like mm. sounds that should have been practically inaudible are now very clear. <laughs> I just think that's what happened with this crowd is that like um, a moth breathing in another like zip code. You're yeah, like, exactly. why am I hearing this? Exactly. I, I just think that the crowd is turned up all the way. And as a result, what might have been a nothing reaction to this match turned into a vaguely something reaction. Okay. Well, Raleigh's on-again, off-again relationship with Hypeness is resolved for yet another match as he regains momentum, but dunks Dylan and pins him for the win. Backstage, Sami Zayn has a rakish black eye and talks up Kid. (laughs) This is their chance for a restart for their recent biffs. Yay! In the crowd, CJ Parker is out there with his traditional sign. On one side, kilowatt light a candle, which, again, these people don't know anything about the environment. (laughs) Eat local, think global. Fine. Vague neoliberal talking points. I might have had a shirt like that. Like, Well, I'm sure you did, know. but you know what? Props to you. You don't have it now. No, I do not. CJ Parker is not what we're here to talk about. Because shit is gonna go vaudeville. Simon Gotch and Aiden English arrive at an entrance that is... Oh. Oh thousand times better on tv because it's in that shitty early age of film quality and i love it it's fucking amazing it's the vaudevillains ah! <laughs> ah! all right the crowd is screaming yes 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 i'm with you crowd crowd you're correct so oh they're up God. against angelo dawkins and travis tyler two charmers we're familiar with and love i was very i'm always happy to see them Gotch starts off and the crowd is chanting, put your dukes up, because he does Marcos of Queensbury rules with his hands. Miles, this is everything. This is everything. I know. I have been waiting to get to this point for so long, and I didn't know exactly when it was coming. Oh, wow. But when I like like I didn't know the exact episode, I was like, oh, OK, in three episodes, we're going to be the vaudevillains or whatever. But I've just been waiting and waiting and seeing Aiden do his thing and seeing Simon Gotch wearing the red and white Waldo costume with the Adam Rose party. And like no. and finally it's here. So the match starts and it's Gotch and Angelo Dawkins. Gotch does one armed push ups on the back of Angelo Dawkins. Charming. Yep. English gets tagged in, squares off with Tyler. Meanwhile, Regal is going fucking banana cakes on commentary, <laughs> giving a whole family history of circus folk. It's like he had a list of OCs that he had created. He's like, here's my original circus fanfic that I've been working on for the past 20 years, and I've been waiting for an opportunity to bring it out. And I'm like, William Regal, nobody needs your fucking like crime and punishment but circus folk. But he's here for it anyway. So the pair trades off Travis Tyler with showmanship and silliness. That's a joy. English does the scariest fucking senton I've ever seen. He dives in a way that just about broke his neck had he not timed it exactly right. Because he dives like he's just going to face plant into the mat. It's a good looking senton. Oh, no, it's don't. You're going to you're taking years off my life. He He does does flip. Yeah, he flips at the last minute. But it works, and he pins Tyler for the win. Miles, I am enjoying this now. Is this going to get even better? Yes. Also, is he named Gotch after, because I've heard people say Gotch-style pile Mm -hmm. driver and other things. 
In fact, uh, Cesaro's neutralizer finisher is technically called a gotch-style neutralizer. And oh. uh, the reason it is called that is because those moves supposedly were invented by Frank Gotch, who is a like one of the legendary, legendary wrestlers from the original. Like he's one of the real pioneers of pro wrestling as it currently exists. It's also a powerful name. Yes. Gotch. Backstage. Big cast is here, but something is missing, though. Mm. And so he sings the first part of Amore, you know, when the moon hits your eyes. Like a big pizza pie? Yes, exactly. Exactly yes. like that. Then boops Devin Taylor on the nose and leaves. So I guess Enzo will be back soon. Also, did appreciate the boop. Always love to see a boop. Backstage, RVD is here. He sounds like every bud tender I've ever spoken to. I love him so much. He wants to wrestle Adrian Neville. I want to eat Doritos with him. He's great. <laughs> Match four. <clears throat> Lady Whistledown reports that yes. a certain someone has arrived in town for the season. Mr. Breeze is here to spar with Callisto, a masked and secretive luchador of some repute. Both are high up on the list of the local mamas as the marriage mart is always open. Mr. Breeze is in no hurry to make any commitments, neither to a lady nor to a match. He was slow to lock up with Senor Callisto and Keiji in his opening gambit. Wisely so, as Senor Callisto evaded a wrist lock with a cunning cartwheel, Mr. Breeze headlocked Senor Callisto in a manner most heelish indeed. The audience was equally displeased with this turn of events and began a series of claps to cheer on the charming luchador. Is there more to report from this match apart from headlocks, dear reader? Certainly. But Lady Whistledown would be most remiss if she did not report the considerable length of time dedicated <laughs> to this crude tactic. Now, when granted the opportunity to demonstrate his own considerable skill, Senor Callisto made a showing that surely caught the eye of every eligible lady in the town. He walked on his hands backwards into a head scissors to throw the young dandy Mr. Breeze to the mat. When we return from an advertisement break, young Mr. Breeze has been invigorated by this brush with disgrace, a disgrace that is nearly assured by a bold flip into a pin attempt by Senor Callisto. I ask you, though, gentle readers, how many headlocks are we meant to endure this season? Even the audience assembled to enjoy the spectacle began a headlock chant in protest <laughs> of the success. We are rewarded for our suffering with a simply lovely springboard crossbody from Senor Callisto. His offense against Mr. Breeze proves unequal to the task, though, as Senor Callisto is caught with the beauty shot and pinned by Mr. Breeze for the win. Miles, this match made Callisto look amazing. Is this match setting him up to be a thing in NXT? Like, is that the job this match is doing is to go like, because it's not making Tyler Breeze look good. You mean to like the fact that it took him so long to beat him? Yeah, pretty much. And also that all Tyler Breeze did was heel shit. Like sure, he, yeah. And not his fun, like modelly heel shit where he's kind of getting picked on. And he's like, oh, how dare you? I hate this. Yeah. I think that they want Kalisto to be a thing. They want him to be a big deal. Uh, I remember there was a there was a time when people were talking about him like oh, WWE is prepping him to be the next Rey Mysterio. I think that the purpose of this match being booked the way it was, was to establish a hierarchy of Kalisto as like not on Breeze's level, but getting there. OK, and Breeze is the number one contender, so that's yes. pretty high level. Yes. 
Match number five, the audience couldn't be happier about seeing Sami Zayn. To be clear, Tyson Kidd had entered before this and the audience was fine with it. But man, they always pop for Sami Zayn. And how could you not? That music's amazing. The audience is still hyped for the Ascension and there is a vigorous yacht chant. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It is wild to watch this match because it requires Sammy to look like he's getting absolutely smashed by the Ascension and he sells the shit out of it. Yeah. But part of me is also yelling, but Sammy is better at wrestles than them. How lose? How Sammy do bad in match? So good at wrestles. <laughs> I, there's two people against one, you know, and I think that one of the old school principles that NXT really does a good job of adhering to is the notion that no matter how good you are, if you're totally outnumbered, then you're probably not going to win. That's clever. All right. That's a good rule of world building to have. Agreed. Vince McMahon on the main roster breaks it all the goddamn time. You see people winning handicap matches all the time. But ah. uh, but I, I would personally say that's uh, counterproductive to long-term storytelling. I would agree. So the audience is nonetheless super into it. Yaz along with Connor's relentless kicks of Zayn. Kid on the apron in the corner going, really? You're into this? Come on. So Zayn is the face in peril and getting battered against the ropes. Kid is getting less and less impressed. Zayn tries desperately to tag in Kid, but Victor prevents it with a vicious slam. Kid shrugs, gets off the corner, starts walking up the ramp. Zane finally creates enough distance, gets to his corner, holding his hand out, and is like, where's Kid? And then sees him and starts reaching and going like, come on, come over here so I can tag you. Kid just doesn't care, though, and leaves Zane to endure the fall of man and take the pin. And I was like, oh, gasp, what a heel. Brutal fall of man, too. It was. Sami Zayn sold that thing so bad. It was like, oh, he's dead now. Sami Zayn has been killed. Yeah, like it wasn't so much the move was executed in a way it usually isn't. It's just that he sold the crap out of it. It was very good. And that was our main event. I guess Tyson Kidd's full on heel turn at this point. I mean, I want to say yes, but I've said that before. (laughs) I know. How long are they going to go? Well, you know, maybe he's not totally bad. I don't know. I suspect that might be it, though. It's a pretty good pin on it if it is. That he can't leave a guy like Sami Zayn out to dry in a tag team match like that and not be a heel. Like you just I don't know how in wrestling, like you don't really come back from that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Unless a storyline brings you back years later. Yeah, exactly. All right, Bob. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown. What did you think of this episode overall? Holy shit, it was a delight from start to finish. Yeah. I have a billion things I could say about it, but I feel like I have to save a lot of them. But so many good things. So many good things. Well, first, let's get into some not good things. Gotta ring the bell for some people. But I liked all of these jobbers and all of these jobbers are our friends. (laughs) Well, we're losing two of them, I'm afraid. Oh, no. So first of all, uh, a just uh, a quick order of business. We are re ringing the bell for Garrett Dillon. Mm. Um, this is the first time we've had to re-ring the bell for someone we already ring the bell for. In this case, back in episode six. Feel free to go back and listen to that one if you want to know more about uh, Jody Christofferson here. Suffice it to say that we mentioned at the time that we were ringing the bell for him, despite the fact that he had a couple more appearances later on. And we are now finished with those couple of appearances, so his time with us is officially ended. We will miss you, Captain Comic. We will. 
And uh, secondly, we are also ringing the bell for somebody who's been with us since our second episode. (gasps) And that's Travis Tyler. Oh, man. He of the sumptuous mountain landscape tights that were gone from our lives too soon. Indeed. Most of the time, when we ring the bell for a jobber like this, there's not a whole lot to say about them. Uh, For the most part, they stopped wrestling or like went to work for minor promotions and were never seen again on television. Travis Tyler, however, is an exception to that rule. Huh. From NXT, he went to work for a Denver, Colorado promotion called Lucha Libre and Laughs. Hmm. Uh, where he used the name Sammy Six Guns. And after that, he spent a year or so in the Kansas City-based National Wrestling League. Oh, that's fun. Uh, where he wrestled under a new name, and that name was Dak Draper. People following uh, modern... Current independent wrestling will probably know that name. It is under that name that he got signed by the major indie promotion Ring of Honor. Oh, shit. Um, He won the Ring of Honor Top Prospect Tournament in 2019, and he's been a stable in ROH ever since, and has had several critically acclaimed matches, including a 20-minute ROH pure title contest with Jonathan Gresham at the company's 19th anniversary show. So former NXT jobber Travis Tyler is actually doing really well for himself right now. And he's also a pretty good follow on Twitter if you're into that sort of thing. Yay! So we're ringing the bell for him, but he is on to bigger and better things, and I am very happy. I did not know that when before I started researching this, and uh, I was I'm thrilled to see that Travis Tyler uh, is actually getting some traction in the wrestling business in a real way. Yay! All right, Bob. Well, it's time now for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan, Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? I could not help but notice whenever Big Cass was backstage, he was wearing a normal black shirt with something on it and wearing jeans. His belt was a thin leopard print belt, and it Ah. looked fucking ridiculous. And the camera even did sort of a little like, wait, really? And then... It was like, no, we can't have that in the shot. That's too distracting. And how could I not notice that? That thing was amazing. And actually like some subtle Enzo foreshadowing too. I know. I thought so as well. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? My elf eyes saw Simon Gotch in the ring. I don't know that I'd go so far as to call him like one of my favorite wrestlers ever, but he might be one of my favorite wrestlers to just watch do things and move in the ring. Um, Wow. I love the way he wrestles. Everything he does, he makes entertaining. Everything he does is in character, and it's all very clean. It's all very precise. He is so graceful. I just love watching him in the ring. And he's one of the few people where I'm like, I could just literally watch you wrestle anybody because everything you do is going to be compelling. And like in this debut, he is going all out. He's doing those squats. Well, he's got their arm. He's just like completely playing up the strongman thing so well. And he is fully in character start to finish with every muscle and bone in his body. And I'm just so happy that I get to watch him do the thing he does best. I'm so happy. (laughs) All right, Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? He can bend six inch iron nails with his teeth. (laughs) 
I knew you were going with this one. I knew it. I had it written down just in case, but I knew it. I know. I was like, I know Miles was going to let me have it. He can bend iron bars with his, well, I'm not going to say what he can bend iron bars with. (laughs) Thank you, William Regal. That was very charming. It's a moment that's easy to miss on commentary because the other guys start talking over it. But if you listen closely, you can hear Regal say, I'm not going to say what he can bend iron bars with. It's so great. All right, Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? A lot of good commentary from that match, as I'm sure you've already realized listening. Um, I think my favorite moment, though, was when Byron said, I feel like it's 1920 again. What the fuck? And Tom goes, what do you mean again? You're 30 years old. It could not be 1920 again. (laughs) And then Saxton responds with, of all the things he could have responded with, he says, you ever seen Back to the Future? What the fuck? Like, are you saying you're a time traveler? Are you, like, accidentally admitting that you have come here from the 1920s, possibly to escape, like, the terrible conditions for black people back in those days? Because I really want to know how disappointed you were when you got here. Yeah, that's a fascinating story of, like, Byron Saxton time traveling wrestling commentator. <laughs> I have all the things I expected him to say after after Tom is like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, also, you ever seen Back to the Future? Most people for time traveling go to the past because then, you know, they, they pull a booster gold. This is a fascinating way of proceeding with your time travel life. All right, Bob, what did your human heart feel? The Vaud villains, obviously. Like, I mean, yeah, okay, mine too. We'll just we'll talk ah, about this. So much fun. It's everything. I wanted wrestling to feel like the circus. And finally, it fully feels like the circus in an utterly unapologetic way. Because I think sometimes, and I fucking hate this, sometimes wrestling tries to apologize for itself. I know. And I'm like... No art can stand up to that. You cannot apologize for your art mid-art. Like, you don't go out in the middle of singing something from Carmen and go, actually, this opera's actually not that great. There's much better things you should be watching. Like, fuck off. Don't do that. It's the thing that so many wrestling companies do all the time, including WWE. Uh, oh, it's very like, much so. They're ashamed to be wrestling. It's a shame to be pro wrestling. And, like, and when it's not... When pro wrestling is unashamed to be pro wrestling, it is amazing. It is oh, at yeah. its best. And this, I don't think I was watching weekly at the time. So I think I don't think we've gotten quite to the point where I was watching weekly because I don't believe I saw this debut uh, as it happened. But one of the things about being a wrestling fan is that you'll go back to watch something that you thought was really cool and great when you were younger and mm-hmm. you go back and watch it, and it's like, oh. And that happens a lot in, like, all media. You go back and watch it, and you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's what I thought was so awesome? Shit, I was I was a fool. Um, <laughs> and it was so gratifying to me to see that, no, it was actually amazing the whole time. And the crowd just embracing it so completely, so utterly from the very beginning – I did not realize that literally the first time they came out, the crowd was chanting, put your dukes up of their own volition. It's not like that was a catchphrase that they were doing. They just started chanting it because they were so fucking into what they were seeing. I think that in most cases, if your art is sincere and your art is committed, 
audiences know and they will respond to it. Not everybody, obviously, but I think that that's true for the vast majority of kinds of art that you can make that you will find your people and boy, howdy, did they find their people. Yeah. I mean, I just cannot say enough about how amazing this was. And I am so happy that they're here and we get to talk about them and they're going to be with us for a while. And as I mentioned, it's only getting better. Uh, So I'm just so excited. Now, those might have been the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling, but we are not done yet because Mm. there is somebody who is no longer with us that we miss dearly and that we need to memorialize in some way. And that someone is Bo Dallas. And in honor of his extraordinary acting talents, we have the Bo Rince Olivier Awards. (laughs) Now, Miles, in this episode, who do you feel showed unbelievable commitment to acting? I think that my inaugural Bo Rince Olivier Award goes to Tyson Kidd. Oh, wow. All right. Tell me. I think he's doing a character and he's playing it well. Like, he's not the best actor in the world, but I didn't think his backstage segment was bad. And I liked his expressions and body language and everything he was doing um, in the main event. So I'm giving it to Tyson. I am going to give it to Garrett Dillon, who is leaving us because. Okay. He was acting so hard in that match and coming at Mojo Raleigh with such fury that I gave a shit about Mojo Raleigh for two whole minutes. Wow. And that okay. is a fucking miracle. Also, bore on his butt. Yeah, he had a pig on his butt. And yeah. it was like, it looked really vicious. And as William Regal said, anyone who wears brown trunks doesn't care what anyone thinks about them, do they? <laughs> All right. With our inaugural awards handed out... It's going to be time momentarily for Wrestling Term of the Week, but first, we need to get Bob's fanfic explaining the wrestling history of the week from episode 55, which was a uh, a Women's Wrestling History of the Week segment. We talked about Trish Stratus and Mickey James and the Diva Search and that whole kind of era. Yay, Bob has prepared a fic. Bow down, unworthy fans. <laughs> Thank you. I put everything from that history into a blender. So none of it is going to be super recognizable. But I think maybe some of the tones, the shades of it are apparent. Okay, sounds good. Let's do it. Belana Torres stood proudly in the ring, championship over her shoulder. Yeah. She was ready to face anyone that came down that ramp. The severe electronic musical score hit that signaled who anyone was this time. A figure in silver with a mechanical headpiece strode with an mm. efficient grace down the ramp towards the ring. Seven of nine. The crowd, who had been all in on Torres, took up a vigorous seven of nine chant. Seven of nine took a mic and spoke. Belana Torres, our Klingon human champion, possessed of extensive knowledge of mat wrestling and aerial techniques, as well as volatile temperament. Belana grabbed another mic. Tell the audience something they don't know. Seven of Nine replied, That I desire a championship match with you, but more than that, you desire one with me. The audience ooed as Belana laughed. Hardly, you'll get one when you've earned one. Hmm, I find that difficult to believe. I may be new to individuality, but I'm not ignorant of human behavior. 
I've noticed your attempts to engage me in training, and I see the way your pupils dilate when you look at my body. All these elaborate <laughs> rituals of deception you humans engage in. <laughs> that had better be a joke, Milana sputtered. <laughs> it was not. Although I understand the concept of humor, it may not be apparent, but I am often amused by human behavior, 709 offered. What is more, I desire you. I desire what you have as champion, and I will get it. Resistance is futile. You must not watch the product if you think I'm an easy win. It's been me against the world, against the whole galaxy since day one. You'll be another in a long line of people that have pissed me off and paid the price. Seven of nine quirked her lip in a barely there smile. Then let the fun commence. Oh, I loved it. That was great. Thank you. I am not super familiar with these characters apart from ranking their fuckability. <laughs> um, thank you so much to Jennifer Jordan for suggesting Bellana Torres versus Seven of Nine. They were such a good fit for this. I am playing around a lot with the Mickey James and yeah, I, Trish Stratus yeah. stuff, but I feel like the pieces are there, if not perhaps in their original order. I definitely recognize what you were doing. So uh, thank you. I'm glad something came of it. You nailed their voices really well, especially Bolana's. So, oh, thank you. Because there were not a lot of quotes of hers to be had where I was able to just pilfer freely from the seven of nine quotes. Yeah, no. And and like seven of nine is a little bit easier to pull off because you kind of know that, you know, you're being robotic. You're being a little over explainy. You know what I mean? With Bolana, you kind of there's a real specific vibe. And I think you really hit it. Fuck yeah. It is now time for Wrestling Term of the Week, and the Wrestling Term of the Week this week is Gimmick Infringement. Ah, yay! I'm so excited. I finally get to learn about Gimmick Infringement, because people say it all the time, but I also have thoughts about it. Now, we talked about this briefly in episode 53 when we discussed the figure four leg lock. Uh, But I wanted to get into it just a little bit deeper, both because Bob has been asking me about it for a while uh, and because we're actually going to see a full blown example of it on the next episode. Ooh. So as mentioned in episode 53, gimmick infringement is when you do something another wrestler is already doing. Now, that sounds vague, but honestly, it's a vague term. Uh, The specific types of appropriation it covers really depends on how you think about it and how seriously you take it. So the classic example that we brought up before that everyone knows is the Nature Boy Buddy Rogers, Nature Boy Ric Flair thing. But that's an example of a wrestler from a younger generation being inspired by and paying tribute to a wrestler from a previous generation. Their careers did overlap. They wrestled each other for the gimmick at one point. Um, But everything about the situation made it clear that the Nature Boy gimmick was being passed on not stolen. That can be something of a fine line, depending on how much you know or don't know about what's happening behind the scenes, but it does happen a lot in wrestling. The more pernicious version of gimmick infringement is when a wrestler working for a major promotion starts doing the same character that an independent wrestler is doing at the same time, which is what we're going to see next week. (gasps) Ah! That's basically punching down, especially if you use the character to become popular and earn a steady paycheck in a TV gig while the independent wrestler remains unknown and not on TV and frequently unpaid or paid very little. So that's pretty fucked up. But even in a case like that, 
it's tricky because unless the two wrestlers are like literally using the same name or the same nickname, it can be tough to prove who's stealing what from who or whether or not they're both stealing from somebody else. That's especially a problem for moves, which are often thrown around in gimmick infringement conversations. CM Punk stole his go-to-sleep finisher from Kenta is a very popular one. But it's almost impossible to determine who invented what move at what time, or whether or not a move is innovative enough that multiple people couldn't have come up with it at the same time, especially given the extremely shady history, like the extremely like obscure history of pro wrestling. Like there just mm. aren't records of a lot of this stuff. You go on word of mouth. You go on like, oh, well, I, I remember so-and-so was doing this in in Miami back in the 50s. And it's like, OK, well, you say that, you know, mm. um, the fact of the matter is that wrestlers take stuff from other wrestlers, just like they take stuff from MMA, just like they take stuff from other parts of pop culture, because it's a cutthroat business run by carnies and everyone steals from everyone. <laughs> so unless you're talking about two wrestlers working at about the same time at like different levels of the industry with very clear indicators that one of them is ripping the other one off, which is again, what we do get on the next episode gimmick infringement, in my opinion, isn't a terribly useful piece of terminology though. Hmm. As you know, at this point, Bob, it is a very popular one. That's all I have for that. Do you have any questions about it? It's not really a question so much as a thing that I have noticed is the way that it gets used by Taz specifically to talk about his stable of wrestlers in AEW is anytime somebody is wearing orange and black, which is what the FTW title colors are. He goes, that's gimmick infringement. And like, he just uses (laughs) it to be a heel on commentary. And he's like, oh, I'm going to have to have people beat that person up. And they're not allowed to wear those colors. It gets used as a punchline as much as anything else. And I am always interested in what gets used as a punchline. Yeah, I think in that case, not having seen it, I'm pretty sure that what Taz is doing is kind of riffing on the the idea of gimmick infringement itself and the fact that people will point at anything and say that's gimmick infringement. Like, the Daniel Bryan's whole yes thing. Like, somebody in MMA was doing the yes thing before Daniel Bryan started doing it. Like, everything is stolen from everyone. I also find it interesting because, and this is something that Lucas Brown has talked about on the episode with Dan Mulcairn, which is the narcissism of small differences, that fact that you can meet somebody who's quite like you, but not just enough unlike you that you're like, oh, gasp. Yeah. I'm not like that. And I find that so fascinating because to me, it's a type of gimmick infringement that you're like, that's my shtick. And also (laughs) you're doing it badly. My shtick is a much better shtick than yours is. Fuck off. You're not allowed to be this person's friend anymore because I am the one who has the gimmick. It's one of those terms that applies to... To real life, I was I'm sure it'll shock you to no end that I've been once again re-listening to Cabin Pressure and (laughs) there's a bit in Cabin Pressure. I'm pretty sure it's in either the first uh, episode where Herc shows up or the second one. And like Douglas says something about how Herc is like an arrogant, smart ass pilot who thinks he's a he's some sky god. And Martin is like, oh, well, I know why you don't like him. He's nicking your bit. Yes. It's a universal term that is, in my opinion, all pretty much always kind of eye rolly because it's like, come on, you're not really that important. 
But it is such a useful phrase to have, I think. And it's a useful phrase to have in culture, not necessarily in wrestling. And I think that's what's really interesting because I think Mark is really useful to have in culture, not just in wrestling. And I think pop is really useful to have in culture, not just in wrestling. And I think gimmick infringement falls in that category of culture needs this term. Maybe much more so than wrestling needs this term. Yeah, the problem with it in wrestling is that like it's just so hard to, you know, like wrestling is just a weird thing. It's like you've got wrestling fans throwing around accusations of gimmick infringement left and right. And like, who knows if the person accusing another wrestler of gimmick infringement is just bitter that they didn't get popular. You know what I mean? Like there's so many, there's so many different factors in play that I think in the wrestling conversation, it becomes really useless partially because it's used so often. Um, But you're right as a larger concept, it, uh, it describes a certain phenomenon that, I don't think really has a word or a phrase that concise to describe it beyond gimmick infringement. It's the perfect phrase for a specific type of thing. All right. Well, I'm glad we finally got that one out. I know you've been wanting it for a while, so I'm glad we took care of it. Can't wait to talk about uh, the one on the next episode. By the way, Bob's fanfic explaining gimmick infringement will not be on the next episode. It will be on the episode after that, because in the next episode, we're having a very special guest on the show. Uh, so if y'all want to hear my wife talk about pro wrestling, uh, come back for the next one, because Sharon's going to be here to talk pro wrestling with us, so that'll be a good time. Well, Bob, with that, (laughs) it's time to get into the Cheap Pop Quiz. All right. Bob has 13 points now, so you need two of these three questions, Bob, to get that bonus episode. Question number one. Next episode features two notable debuts, and one of them involves our favorite thing in the world, the cultural stereotype character. Oh no, I don't want this. Which culture is being stereotyped this time? Is it A, Irish culture, Mm. B, Scottish culture, C, Samoan slash Pacific Islander culture, D, Jewish culture, or E, (sighs) the American South, a.k.a. redneck culture. Oh, God. It could be any of these. You know, they have had Pacific Islander folk on, and they have not gone to that well. I fear that that may be the well that they go to. Okay, so your answer is C, Samoan slash Pacific Islander. Question number two. The other debuting wrestler doesn't have a cultural gimmick per se, but they do have a nickname that gets established during their first appearance. What is that nickname? Is it A, the definition of technician? B, the sensation of innovation? C, the last of a dying breed? D, the original playa from the Himalaya? Or E, the world's largest love machine? You put that as E because you know I'm going to pick it. I put it as E. That's what. We're, that's all we're going to say for now. You know what? How dare you? I'm not <laughs> picking it. You know, I'm picking C again. I don't even remember what C is. C was the last of a dying breed. Oh, I mean, that's Eddie Kingston, but whatever. You know what? People use it all the time. It's going for C. All right. Go for C, the last of a dying breed. And question number three. Finally, on the next episode, we will meet... Matt Sugarman. Who is Matt Sugarman? Is it A, he's a jobber whose wrestling career consists entirely of this one match. B, he's a jobber whose NXT and WWE career consists entirely of this one match, 
but who was a huge star on the independent scene. C. He's a jobber who will go on to become a major character in NXT. D. He's a jobber who will go on to become a major character on the main roster. Or E. He's Matt Jackson from the Young Bucks. I don't think the Bucks have ever worked for WWE. Unless they secretly did. You know what? I'm going to choose E. I would like to see this. Okay. E. He's Matt Jackson from the Young Bucks. That is your answer. Come back on the next episode to see how many, if any, points Bob got on the cheap pop quiz and how much further they got in their quest for that elusive 15 point romance novel bonus episode. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan, Bob. As always, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for being my tag team partner in this and not suddenly abandoning me partway through because I didn't get to you fast enough for the hot tag. I really appreciate you sticking around. No problem. Wouldn't want you taking that fucking fall of man that Sammy took. (laughs) No, wait. On second thought, do leave me with these vampire boys. Miles, go away. I have thoughts. Well, thank you also to everybody who uh, listens to our show, and in particular, those who support us on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash NXTWrestlingFan. And while we're on the subject of Patreon, Bob, oh, yes? we have a new signee <gasps> oh, man. to the Next Wrestling Fan Federation. This individual, I should say these individuals, oh, yes. were known on the independent scene as Amanda and Steve. Oh, okay. I know. I think I've seen some of their work on um, PWG. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Amanda Pearl actually uh, hit us up on Twitter and said some very sweet things about our podcast, which Aww, uh, made me feel really good you. about about us. And uh, then she went over to Patreon and signed up. But the name, as I said, was Amanda and Steve, which is her husband. And you know, we've never gotten sort of a dual name uh, mm. for a patron before. I thought it would be really fun, and I don't know if any wrestler has ever done this. Probably not, because it would be hard, but I would love it if they did. If you were doing a thing where you pretended that there were, like, two people inhabiting the same body. (gasps) And they had two, like, wildly different personalities and wrestling styles. And you never knew which one was, was, like, in control at any given time. Uh, Um, Sort of a, like, spawn but, like, if you couldn't tell whenever it was going to be Spawn and whenever it was going to be the other guy. I know nothing about Spawn. So. Wait, is it Spawn? I don't know. It was the movie with Tom Hardy where he got, he was... Oh, Venom. He, Venom. Yeah, I don't understand comics. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sort of like that. <laughs> <laughs> where sometimes you end up in a fish tank or something. I don't know. what. Right, I haven't seen the movie yet. <laughs> sometimes you have an alien symbiote bothered to you who covers you in teeth. Um, yeah. This character is Artemis Gestalt. Oh, that's a fucking baller name. I was pretty I happy I wish with that it. was my name. I wanted to give uh, Amanda a good one because she said very nice things about us on Twitter. <laughs> Artemis Gestalt. Jeez. Yeah. So, that's like, uh, goddamn. I'm like, why is there not a Hulu series about this character immediately? Nobody gets to steal that idea. That is my name, Artemis Gestalt. Actually, it's Amanda's name and Steve's name. Thank you to both of you for being patrons and supporting us. We really appreciate it. 
For those of you who are patrons, we have uh, some cool stuff coming your way. Mm -hmm. For one thing, I will say that as this episode is released, uh, if you are a $5 and up patron, uh, and this is being released before Saturday, October 2nd, there is still a little bit of time for you to get in on the bonus episode poll, which is currently up on Patreon, so you can vote on what our coverage will be for our next bonus episode, what we will be talking about. And if you are listening to this on Saturday, the day that it drops for everybody else, you can still get in on it. We're going to let the poll run through Saturday. So if you uh, uh, want to become a patron or if you're a $2 patron who uh, doesn't have early access but wants to get in on the poll and hasn't done that yet, uh, today is your day. Do it now before the end of the day on October 2nd so we can decide what we are covering on our patrons-only bonus episode, which is coming up pretty soon. As soon as we figure out what we're covering, we will uh, get right on that. The current front runner seems to be Tender Wings of Desire, the KFC romance <laughs> novel. Yes, novella? That the, That's the novella, current front yeah. runner. The current front runner is definitely Wings of Desire, the, the KFC promotional tactic. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, <laughs> the that's KFC callous cash grab. That's as right. Miles um, is going to describe it. I definitely will. Uh, other options include, uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Paul Heyman, which is the Paul Heyman documentary, which Bob is very interested in, yeah. as well as Godzilla versus Kong, Over the Garden Wall, and the uh, trauma movie Pro Wrestlers versus Zombies. So, uh, if any of those sound like things you want us to spend an hour talking about, go over to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan, become a patron, you'll get your wrestler name, probably not quite as good as Artemis Gestalt, because well, I'm really proud of that one, but you, you'll you get a wrestler name. <laughs> and you'll get access to all kinds of other cool stuff, uh, including our bonus episodes. And Miles, I just want to take this second. On this episode mm-hmm. in which yes. we have debuted the Unbelievable Commitment Award, which we right. are also calling the Borens Olivier and the Lawrence Olivier Award. Bolivier Award, depending That's on the day. <laughs> it has a lot of names. I just want to say that I've been watching current NXT and mm-hmm. I have a great deal of fondness for Tommaso Ciampa. I, I do love him. Yeah. And he has a most excellent beard. Yes. However, he described himself as Mr. NXT. And I was like, <gasps> no. You don't. You can't do Where's that. Where's your sense of history? Yeah, man. Where's your sense of legacy, sir? You cannot come in here and just claim that there was a Mr. NXT before NXT was even a twinkle in your eye. Yeah, you cannot call yourself Mr. NXT, Tommaso Ciampa. That Although title he is has been very taken. cool, and I kind of am okay with it. But also, I'm like, you better fucking acknowledge that that is Bo Dallas's title, and you have Look. inherited it. I love Tommaso Ciampa. I'm so happy that he's NXT champion right now. But unless you're prepared to put on a mask and a cape and act like a fucking idiot, you can't <laughs> call yourself Mr. NXT. And, and I can't see Tommaso Ciampa doing any of those things. Dragged out by multiple security guards <laughs> carrying you one limb each into a golf cart. The legacy of Bo Dallas lives on. Do you think we could get him? Well, Bo Dallas update. For those of you who are passionate Bo Dallas fans, as I hope all mm-hmm. of you are by now, he has a new project dropping, and we yeah. don't know what it is yet, but it will be dropping the start of October. It's probably he posted, a cooking show. I, it's probably a cooking show. He did yeah. post a picture of himself, and he has gotten like extra swole, and not in a scary way, but just in like a, oh, dang, guy has been eating his protein supplements and doing a lot of bicep work. 
Mm. So he's looking great and he seems happy. And uh, yeah, we'll let you know. If he does, you know what? I might check it out and report back and let y'all know how it is. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Thank you all so much for listening, following along with us on this journey. And uh, we will see you in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. See you later, alligators. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. I'm just imagining, like, Byron setting his time traveler back in 1920 being like, all right. How far ahead do I think I need to go before there's just like there we're, we're done with this racism shit? I mean, fifty years, uh, maybe I should go a little bit farther just in case. What's safe? Like ninety-four years, I feel like is safe. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> I mean, ninety-four it's been years in the history of humankind since forever. Uh, like uh, before that, it was other things. So I'm like, <sighs> I humanity's always been a real fucking mixed bag of shit. It's true. Now I'm curious about who's going to be in this episode because I know it must be an episode that has Sharon specific stuff. Mm. Well, for one thing, she's a huge Vaudevillains fan. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> she has a heart. <laughs> <laughs>